Doug and I are, are, are particularly happy that you consider us young adults today. So, we eclipsed that a while ago. Um, so, Kevin started to talk about um, peace, and if I would uh, put it together, while talking about from the catechism, it's more of a secular peace, and that peace that is societal. Um, it's supposed to be the overflow of the peace that we find in particular. Um, I left some papers in the middle of your table uh, so I don't have to actually read all the scripture quotes. And I gave some extra ones there uh, for you as well. It looks like this. And then on the back, if you're looking for some of the references, I gave you all the references on the back as well so you can uh, work from there. Um, What do I want to talk about? What I really want to talk about and really address for us is that, that peace that the Prince of Peace gives us the peace that only Christ can give. And so uh, where I based uh, my talk off of is out of John 14, 27, which says, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And I want to give you a little context for this verse because this is part of what we call um, the last discourses in John. It's right before Jesus knows he's about to die. It's right before he knows that his, his disciples are going to get scattered. They're going to get thrown to the wind. They're going to see the worst that the Romans have to offer. Uh, for most of us, when we take a look at the crucifix and understand crucifixion, it's a much cleaned up and prettier uh, version of what really the Romans did. The Romans were, it was a science to crucify people. And they knew how to humiliate not just the person they were crucifying, but everybody uh, that they met, uh, intended to use that crucifixion as an example, a, a, a quick example. So most of us think when we see the movies of Jesus being crucified, he's, he's crucified high up so everybody can see. But that's, that's not true. And the way they crucified him, we also see him on a cliff where there's nothing behind and far off from the temple. But that's also not true. Because the way that the Romans did it, they understood that the Jews, uh, the central aspect of what it meant uh, to be Jewish is the modesty that comes with it. Because remember back in the garden, they weren't ashamed until after the fall. And so modesty uh, was paramount. So even for the Jews, ladies, uh, when you were married, uh, you still covered your hair. The glory of the woman as it goes on to say in the Song of Songs. So when they crucified our Lord... Not only did they put him on a road so everybody could see them, but they put it about the right height so you could look at his bare genitals as you were passing by. You had to. It was not only to humiliate the person they were crucifying, but you as well. And so when we talk about the Pax Romani, that, that imposed peace, um, it, it was very, also very commercial because you don't have peace, you don't make money. I mean, it, it's very practical uh, over that. So in all of this, our Lord, is saying, our Lord is saying, peace I leave you. I'm going to give you something that the world can't give. It's got to be different than the Pax Romani. It's got to be different than, than uh, what you're about to experience. And what he implies in it is, in everything you're about to go through, in everything you're about to see me go through, peace is still possible. Peace is still possible. And so what I want to do is focus on a little more what everybody wants but didn't say out loud and ask for. What does it mean for you to have peace in your life? What does it mean? How do I get that peace? Because we talk about it all the time. We spend a great deal of money on what psychologically we call mindfulness, 
we we look at, at everybody and he asks the question, hey, are you at peace? You know, not so much of, hey, are the governments at peace? All right, but you, you in particular. Because John Paul II was clear. One of the things he said is, as the family goes, so does the rest of the world. Well, the family is the domestic church. If, we're, if our world and our country is going to experience peace from the Prince of Peace, it must first begin with us individually and then within that family unit. It's not possible any other way. It doesn't work. It's been tried. There is, there is just a compilation of failure throughout all of history. And so we, we need to work towards that. And so let's just jump straight in and let's start off with uh, what, uh, when we talk about peace, what we're talking about first um, Father's going to look more towards the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's not the peace I'm talking about. Um, when we talk about the fruit of the Holy Spirit out of Galatians 5, um, notice it says fruit and not fruits. So everything that you see, um, uh, peace, joy, love, all of those, it's only one thing, not multiple. What does that mean? Think of a flower, a rose, when it opens. It's one flower, but each one of the petals. That's what we're talking about, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. All that together, it unfolds and reveals itself um, in a particular order, in fact. Okay? What I want to talk to you about is that habitual abiding peace, what you want in your life, what we starve for. What does that mean? And so let me tell you first what it is not. It's not psychologically produced by human techniques, like mindfulness, or what we used to thought that runner's high, endorphins, actually that went out in 2012. We discovered that endorphins can't go over the blood-brain uh, barrier, so it's not endorphins that gives you that runner's high. Different talk. But it's not, it's not something that can be psychologically produced. Um, you, it's not oriental or occidental. What do I mean? Oriental Eastern techniques, Western techniques, especially in relaxation and prayer, yoga, all those things that, that come together with it. All right? Within that, occidental pe- that oriental piece... Um, Kevin, because his wife's name was coming to my head, and I mean, she's the better of you two, but, you know, so, um, but um, what I want you to think of within Hinduism, uh, Hinduism and its reform Buddhism, how you get to that peace, how you get to that, if you want to call it that nirvana, is a killing of all desire. In fact, they go on to say that all evil in the world, all suffering is caused by your desires. As Catholics, we don't believe that. In fact, in the Psalms, uh, in the Psalms, we go on to say, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desire. Trust in him and he will act. So it's not that. Um, it's very different. It's not the cessation of conflict. Um, in Second uh, Samuel 7.11, uh, what you'll find is uh, David looks towards his general and says, how was the shalom of war? That you can have peace in the midst of great war and conflict. So it's not that either. It's not just a cessation of conflict, whether it be nationally or, hey, I've been married for over 25 years. I understand that kind of war, too. Okay? Um, it's, not, it's not the feeling of well-being when we get our own way. And moving towards your own prayer lives, that life in the Spirit, is not necessarily accompanied by a felt awareness of God. That is not peace. Um, that a sensible awareness of the divine nearness is not a sure witness of his presence. Just like dryness in your spiritual life is not a sure witness of desolation and farness from God. 
In fact, John of the Cross, in his sense of Mount Carmel, um, I'm sorry, Dark Night of the Soul, talks about that sometimes um, God is very near, and he uses candle, but I'll use something a little more modern, the light bulb. As you look into that light bulb and you get closer to it, you get blinded by the light. You can't see the light bulb. It doesn't mean the light bulb isn't there. It just means you can't see it. And so when we talk about that peace, you can't go with the, I've got the great feeling our Lord is near, or he must be really far away, because that doesn't work. Why? Because what we find out when we study the spiritual life is that we are closest to the Lord in darkness. Because the Lord is spirit, and spirit is not material, and we make a lot of our judgments through the only way that we naturally know how, through our senses. And senses tend to lie. Emotions tend to lie. Um, That pure knowledge of that holy darkness, we'll discuss a little, and I would encourage Frazzati to look towards and study that a little more, because it could be useful to you in your own spiritual lives. Told you what it's not, let's talk about what it is because that's what everybody really wants to know. Habitual peace. I'm going to use some... Who said hippie earlier? That was great. Oh, fantastic. I laughed over there. Let me use some hippie words. Um, And I was born during that time. Uh, Don't laugh too hard. Here's what I don't understand. Bell-bottom pants are coming back, and that nasty green shag carpet. I do not understand. We burnt it once. Why are you guys allowing it to come back? just don't get it. Um, mm. Um, that habitual peace is that inner harmony. And now when I say inner harmony, hear what comes after the comma here. An integrity, very important word, born of goodness. Integrity and goodness tied together. Here's, here's, here's how I like to define peace a lot. It's a penetrating embrace of love. A penetrating embrace of love. It brings about clarity and focus and vivifies vivifies your senses. Everything's brighter. Everything's clearer. Everything's sharper. It's about wholeness. In fact, while holiness is great when we think of Joseph Cupertino floating to bring the steeple up and Padre Pio transfiguring during Mass and the stigmata and everything, holiness is about wholeness. To be holy is to be whole. Going back to what Kevin said, what we lost in that image and likeness, that light likeness piece, that grace, prior to the fall, grace was there to ensure that our bodies, our, our minds, our imaginations, our emotions, everything worked together in unison. After the fall, with that grace taken out, it's been fractured. The point of baptism, giving that grace back, is to reintegrate us, to make us whole. To be whole is to be holy. To be whole, to be holy, is to be fully human. That's why it's saying Irenaeus went on to say that the glory of the Father is man fully alive. To be fully alive is to be holy. You can't separate the two. Um, 2304 in that whole section in the Catechism is under the fifth commandment, uh, thou shalt not commit murder. And it's on that whole section on morality which is the third section in the catechism. There are two ahead of it. And there's a reason why it becomes third. Because it is a non-starter to talk to a person just about morality. The moral life has zero meaning 
and very little efficacy if you don't have the relationship that's meant to give you the power um, to be moral. Otherwise, you're a good Jew. What do I mean by that? The Jews were given the commandments, but not the power to fulfill them. You, baptized in Christ, have not only been given the power to fulfill them, you've been given the power to spread and teach others to fulfill them. You no longer imitate the angels at Mass in worship. You participate with the angels alongside of them in that worship. You don't watch the heavenly worship. You stand in the midst of it and contribute to it. Your trials uh, triumphs. Virtues, here this next part, and vices all contribute to the glory of God. Not the vices per se, but the redeeming of them for it. Everything that you do, your work, because from the very beginning, work was always a good thing. Your work contributes to the glory of God. Your work and your sanctification of place and time reorder creation and bring them back together. Remember, can't believe I'm saying this, cover the ears of the little children in the room. I know your parents told you that the world doesn't revolve around you, but the way the economy of salvation works, the world really revolves around you and me. The world was created so that we would have a place to come in contact with the, with the bridegroom. As the holiness of the person and the people are, so goes the holiness of all creation. That's why St. Paul in Romans says that uh, creation is yearning and groaning for the redemption. And you're thinking, well, St. Paul already knew that the redemption took place because Christ rose from the dead. That's not the only redemption that he's talking about. He's talking about the redemption that comes through in Christ's mystical body, you and me, that brings, that brings the world back together. Fun little illustration. You go to the beach. Who here doesn't love the beach? Father Tipton, you should leave. So, <laughs> you're a prodigious person. Um, you go to the beach. You ever take a look at that little kid who's just playing in the sand and walks into the midst of the seagulls and they don't move? That is, that is a shadow, a remnant of the original justice that we had before the fall. Father and I were talking, Kevin, while you are in the talk, there's this throwaway line in the first two verses of, of chapter 9 in Genesis. And it's the first time that God puts enmity between humanity and all the animals. Before then, the animals didn't try to bite you and eat you. T-Rex, eh, you could have called him Fido and had him around the house. A little destructive, not sure where he sleeps, but there it is, okay? But after that, enmity is set. Now we got to watch where, you know, Simba's coming down there. Otherwise, you know, now Simba sees you and you're not a friend, you're an hors d'oeuvre. Me, I'm more of a meal. So, you know, hateful waif. So, <laughs> but, but as your holiness, as my holiness goes, so does your family and so does creation. It's why this is so necessary to seek and to strive after for it. Um, the English concept of, of peace, uh, can I just be brash all the way through? The English idea of peace is, frankly, naive and simplistic. Um, what we really talk about is it, um, just a tranquility of order and absence of conflict, but it's much more than that, though it does include. There is a serenity that's experienced in it. However, 
Um, it's not so that your nerves are no longer firing because you're anxious. Um, here's an image I want you to keep as we move forward. Um, oh, what was that movie called? It was so 1995. Um, what was the whole movie about the tornado? Twister, oh, Twister thank you. There's that moment, you remember at the end where that, you know, they're tied to whatever that pipe was in the middle of the ground with a belt, like that would ever work. Um, but the tornado's around them, and then the whole movie goes silent. And they look up and they can see the sun. And you see them smile for a second. That's really what the abiding peace of Christ is. That you can be in the middle of the tornado, in the middle of the storm, look up and see him clearly, the sun, as though and clearly. And there's a calm, and there's a peace, and there's a serenity. In the spiritual life, in all the spiritual masters, the word peace and serenity are one and the same. They're one and the same, okay? Do not let the serenity prayer flow into your head because not the same, all right? But that's what we're talking about. That's the image I want you to keep in your head because I don't, I, it's very easy for us to fall into to the trap of if I'm at peace and everything is peaceful at home, then there's no conflict and everything's in right order. It isn't. Let me take you over to the Jewish understanding, the ancient Hebrew understanding of a peace. And that, that word in Hebrew for peace is what? You all know it. Shalom. Okay. The shalom, notice to say the shalom, a definite article. The shalom included tranquility, but much, much more. The root of uh, shalom comes to signify completion, a finishing, um, a perfection, a fullness. It's about being perfect. In Greek, the word is teleos. But perfect there does not mean not making mistakes. And, and here it is. Um, perfect is about being fully equipped to complete the task at hand. If you're a plumber and you show up without your tools, you're an imperfect plumber. If you show up with all your tools and have everything to get the job done, you're literally perfect. When our Lord says, be perfect because your heavenly Father is perfect, we, we wrap our minds in clergy. It drives us crazy because everybody's going... I keep sinning. That has nothing to do with being perfect. Well, but I keep doing this wrong. Still has nothing to do with perfect. Do you have everything you need to live the Christian life? Are you in a state of grace? Yes, but I'm not living it perfectly. The fact that you're in a state of grace, you're perfect. Now, there are degrees of perfection as we come to there because we're talking about bringing everything back and integrating it together. But to be perfect is to be fully equipped. It's why the life of grace is so necessary. Because once you're fully equipped, then the shalom, the peace, begins to abide within us. That shalom, um, the shalom to the Jew is a blessing. It's literally a divine manifestation. And so when they would go wrong, uh, uh, when they would go, did I say go wrong? Go along, okay. When they would say shalom to one another, what they're signifying is that there's a gift of peace that is available to them from our Lord. It's why even in the New Testament, while it was written in Greek, they liked to throw in the word shalom because it, it meant something very different at that time, and it should uh, to us as well. That shalom presupposes to the Jew a vibrant, not a relationship with the Lord, but a vibrant relationship with the Lord. Communal and personal. As Catholics, communal um, liturgy is more important than personal liturgy. But in order for you to have good communal liturgy, 
you necessarily must have good personal liturgy. It's an ebb and flow. It flows in and out uh, and shares uh, with one another. All right. Peace, therefore, includes naturally a holiness of life, which was more than just mere ritual purity or external action. It's an integrity of, of thought and act. We're not meant to be able to think one thing and say and do another. Does that make sense? The very fact that when your alarm goes off Monday morning at, I don't know, we'll choose 6 a.m., and you know you're supposed to get up, but your body says seven more minutes would be fantastic, that's actually a result of the fall. You're not supposed to be able to think one thing and do another. Holiness, that reintegration, that peace, is that, 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 that fullness of grace working in our lives, that abiding of him. How do we get there? What does that mean? Well, for many in the spiritual life, let me talk about the illusions that come with it. There's a threat and illusion and self-deception in this area, especially um, among Americans. And here's where I'm just going to get down and dirty about it uh, for all of us. For many Catholics, when clergy we talk, there's an expectation um, that we get the peace just because we go to Mass and hit the box every once in a while. There's an entitlement and a fast food aspect to this. But the Prince of Peace, the only way you get it, is by living the faith out and not by the mere external check-the-box actions. When you study St. Thomas in the second part of the second part, eh, um, you'll find that peace and joy, you you can't separate them from one another. You always see them together in in St. Thomas. They always always, uh, fit with each other and you find them together. The problem is... um, you know, Saint, uh, Saint Jerome was known for being a very peaceful man. We call him Saint Jerome the Vulgar. Why? He was a curmudgeon. Actually, yes. He wrote in his native tongue, the Vulgate, instead of writing Latin. He did, but um, the other reason we call him the Vulgar is literally, he was vulgar. Um, he lived in a cave outside of the town because the town didn't want him in the town. Because he had a mouth to go with it, okay? Things you never hear about the saints. Welcome to Catholicism, okay? Um, but but uh, when we think of joy, joy is not happiness. Joy is not happiness. Joy is a certitude of the blessedness that will come one day. It's connected to hope. All of them come together. So um, in the reality of the spiritual life and the prayer life, which we're about to talk about, uh, there's a lot of work that needs to be done, but we typically want to fast track it. Um, another, another kind of self-deception uh, is that we need to know exactly what the Lord is asking us when we tell him we want to know, especially when it comes to discernment. Okay? I love talking to young adults on, about vocation and your discernment for it. Don't. <laughs> it's a terrible experience every time. And it usually involves blue moon and several games of pool at Fast Eddie's. Um, okay, I spend a lot of time there. I literally go in there and they give me the same table um, every time. Um, that actually neglects what it means to be in relationship with our Lord. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are persons. And peace is the effect, the E, F-F-E-C-T, got it. Um, effect of the gift of charity. 
But what is charity? See, you can make acts of faith and hope, and we have those prayers, and by stepping out and believing. But charity, an act of charity, that's very different than the other virtues. To make an act of charity, you must step into charity. And what does that mean? It means that we literally step in to the life of God. Because in 1 John 4, it says that God is love. The way that we grow in charity is literally to be in, to step in, to allow ourselves to be overshadowed by charity himself. It requires a time of prayer. It requires that time of, of recollection. There was a question asked, how do we grow in peace? Here's the sure way. You need to develop a life of prayer and recollection. Notice I said and, not prayer with recollection. A life of prayer and recollection. The two are different. Recollection is, is that time of collecting what is going on in our life and looking at it through a lens of our Lord with Scripture. Prayer is that, that um, discussion of intimacy, heart to heart, core locator core. Heart speaks to heart. It's a time of silence. And I'm going to be very off-putting now. It cannot be done while you're exercising. It is a scientific fact. Multitasking is not a thing. It always, it always means something loses. You can't serve both God and mammon. And I can guarantee you, for those of you who are married, if you decide to have a very important conversation with your spouse and decided to do it while you're running, they would shank you. Okay? Because I know, and it's usually the guys, when we're having that discussion, usually the hands come out to the cheeks and it's move over so we're looking face to face. So what do you think, our Lord, is anything different? He's not. But see, the problem is we live in a world that moves so quickly, we don't want to put in the time. And so we have all these expectations and entitlement that he must give it to us. No, he doesn't. Technically, you want to hear something technical? Technical, our Lord only has to forgive us once. Everything else, it's gravy. He guarantees that forgiveness once. So now I want you to think every time you went to confession, because he swore that oath, he keeps pouring out that forgiveness every time. Now we know in the very nature of God that he's going to do that. But we need to develop that life of recollection and prayer, a life of thankfulness, getting down to the nitty-gritty. You woke up this morning. We woke up this morning. Um, being thankful for, if you're married, for your spouse laying next to you. When I open my eyes, the first thing I do is I look over and I thank the Lord for my wife and for my children and their attendants and then for those who will be their attendants one day. Okay? The last thing I do before I go to bed is I walk around and whether they're asleep or not, I go in and tell them that I love them and I'm thankful for them. And it's necessary to develop that life of recollection of what he's given you and me. Thankfulness for my health, as odd as it is sometimes, okay? Thankfulness for my job, as weird and as terrible as it can be at times, okay? Thankful for the grace that he gives. All that comes together and is brought in towards the mass uh, that we live. And we take the daily readings for scripture because the church guarantees that if we read along with her, he will speak to us. Everybody wants to say, well, I need the Lord to speak to me. Are you reading the daily readings? Yes, but I want him to speak to me. 
He guaranteed in Exodus 19, if you come to him in the morning with the liturgy of the day, he will speak to you through those, through those readings. He swore an oath. He cannot not do it. But it means we have to silence ourselves. Well, Deacon, when I go to prayer, I have a lot of distractions. Cool. That makes you, what's that word? Human. Um, yeah, you do. But that's not your job to get rid of the distractions. That's our Lord's job. You need to come together with a plan and a structure that allows the freedom for him to speak to you. What is that peace that we're talking about? That peace, the signs of it, is this um, uh, abiding, uh, trusting confidence in who he is that you can't tie to his particular action. It seemingly comes out of nowhere. It, it just wells up from within. It's whoever said river. Someone... River, it's my favorite analogy. It's literally that underground river that's powering everything for the rest of your day. Um, I was thinking of what can I use as an example. I remember the first time I experienced this. It was actually in um, uh, 2000. And I had this job as executive director for a nonprofit. And I had royally messed up a mailing. I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I went to bed, and anybody who knows me, I sleep very well and very quickly, and I don't stress about things. I woke up in the middle of the night stressing out. And so at 3 a.m., I walk out of um, uh, the bedroom in our tiny apartments, and I go over. I kneel before the crucifix, and I'm like, oh, dear God, what have I done? And I said, I just can't do this. I need some help. And I went back to bed. Now, what I didn't realize, it took me two days to figure it out, is I woke up the next day, and everything was in sharp focus, sharp order. I went through the day. All the relationships were working well. I was clearly focused on what I needed to do. There was no, my mind, you know when you get anxious, everything starts flooding through your mind? Single-minded in everything I did. It was only in days of reflection as I was praying and the Lord said, so what would you think about the other day? And I, what day? Uh, the day after you prayed. And I went through the day and realized, oh my gosh. That's the peace of Christ that the world can't give. Because I should have been a stress ball puking out my guts. And here's something I want you to take away from this. Our Lord is with us even when we mess up. People, when they sin, especially gravely sin, they stop praying because, well, the Lord can't be near me. No, we turn our back on him, but that doesn't mean he abandons us. He's still with us. He doesn't abandon we just refuse what he's trying to give. Stick with the prayer. Two practical points, and we'll call it a day. Okay. Ways to, actually three, way, uh, some ways to foster the cease. You need that current recollection, so pick a place in your home that is not your bed, that is not where you sit in front of a TV. Psychologically, I gotta use my degree every once in a while. Psychologically, we train our minds for certain events and things. Sitting in bed and putting your head on the pillow is the international um, sign for partying. Like disabled person. <laughs> He's not there. For sleep, okay? The, the <laughs> chair looking at the TV is an international sign for 
watch and be entertained, okay? Find a place that you can segregate off you and the Lord. If you're married, find a place where you and your spouse can steal away for a few minutes, okay? Second, you must have quiet time in your prayer life. There must be silence. You need to first work with the external, but move towards the interior. I'll leave it to a different talk for you guys to, to talk about how you, how you do that. Um, Bernard Clairvaux, he has a great uh, short little book on that, about 38 pages, Steps uh, of Humility and Pride. Uh, John Climacus, also in his letter of divine ascent, talks a lot about that, gives great, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Thank guidance, thank you. All the words went from my head that wasn't coming out. Okay. The time of silence. I'm going to be honest with you. If you've had a regular prayer time and you're still sitting at 15 minutes, something has gone wrong. It needs to be fixed. Please come see the clergy. Let us work with you. Your prayer time should be getting increasing. Now, those of you who are families, mom, you should be doing 15 minutes in blocks. Here's what I also want to tell the other mothers and those who will become mothers. If there's a choice between prayer and sleep, you know what you're supposed to choose? Sleep. Because part of the shalom and the order is ensuring that your daily life is instructed. All right? If you, um, uh, St. Francis of Sales wrote all these scathing letters to his sisters, sister because she tried to go to Mass every day and do all these um, holy hours and everything else, and he said, you're not a nun. Stop acting like one. If you can't get to Mass every day, cool. There's more grace taking care of your kids than there is, okay? Here's the last thing. All right, well, the second thing is respect the ordered life that's there, all right? That includes the day of prayer, uh, time of prayer. That includes time to steal away like days of reflection. That also includes um, how the proper order of the natural life, okay? The third thing is... Um, Relax. Stop being so hard on yourself. It's, job, it's God's job to bring us and to unify us with him and to give that peace. Your job is to be available. My job is to be available. But the only way that we learn to grow in love is to spend presence and love himself. Which goes back to point two. That time of prayer. I'm leaving you with this and it's saying, well, you need to know more in prayer. You do. I'm going to be honest, you can do a whole day just on prayer. That's just no, another talk. But the peace that you're looking for, uh, the peace that you're looking for is very readily available to you. Um, we spend hundreds of millions of dollars on exercise and everything to be at peace, and it doesn't satisfy. It goes away. I can tell you that if you invest in the weekly holy hours, a day of prayer, you will find, or um, daily prayer, you will find that peace suddenly there before you even know it. That in the midst of your struggles, not only with your, your work, your spouse, your friends, there's a, there's a surety and a confidence that keeps you calm, keeps you focused, and knows that you're loved, and that you're being loved all at the same time. Does that work? And the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.